Hey guys, be sure to stay tuned after the credits to hear the trailer for our first feature-length documentary. Hmm? Ah! Oh. Hi, all you boys and girls out there in podcast land. Welcome to Radio Film School, a radio documentary anthology series about filmmaking, cinema, and the pursuit of passion. Every week, we bring you personal, passionate, and sometimes provocative stories from filmmakers and artists all over the globe. Stories that help you mature as an artist and find more fulfillment in your craft and career. I've missed you guys. Seems like it's been forever since I've been behind the microphone. It feels good to be back. I hope you all had a restful and wonderful holiday season. Today, we're looking at a few of the top lessons we learned on the show back in 2016 and some exciting stuff that we have in store for 2017. We have a lot to cover, so let's get on with it. Without further ado, here's the first official episode of 2017. This is a clip from the comedy spoof video 2016, The Trailer, by Friend Dog Studios. They took key events from last year and weaved them into this brilliantly funny mock trailer about 2016 as if it were a horror movie. Guys, they shot a gorilla. I don't understand. What is this thing? It's not a what. It's a win. There has to be a pattern. There isn't. George Michael, Rickman, Wilder, Prince, Bowie, Ali. There's no pattern. Ah! What happened? I tried to call for help and my phone exploded. What? My phone literally exploded in my hand. England just left Europe. Why? Nobody knows. They just left. I absolutely love this video. I, I think that last line is my favorite. They just left. 2016 was indeed a crazy year, particularly for the movie industry because we lost so many icons. I think the two that really hit me the hardest personally was the loss of our prince and our princess. The prince was, well, Prince himself, the musician, back in April of last year, and the princess, of course, was Princess Leia herself, Carrie Fisher, only two days after Christmas. And how tragically sad that her mom, Debbie Reynolds, passed the very next day. And I won't even bother getting to all the political craziness that went on last year. But you know, as difficult as 2016 was, there were also some really great lessons learned. Today, we're going to look back at a few of my favorite lessons learned last year on the show. Where are some sound bites from our Quentin Tarantino episode, my Shooting Sunshine miniseries about the making of my documentary short, and some clips from the season one finale of the show. Then towards the end of the episode today, I want to introduce you to a new miniseries that we're starting about the making of my first feature-length documentary. It's a new year, folks, and lots of exciting adventures are in the works. I'm Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School, A Filmmaker's Journey.
Last season's theme was all about finding your voice as an artist and defining a signature style. As part of the exercise, we looked at a few filmmakers who are known for their distinctive styles of storytelling. We looked at Hitchcock, the Coen brothers, and the veritable patron saint of rebellious stylistic filmmakers himself, Quentin Tarantino. We actually had two episodes dedicated to talking about Quentin, as an auteur and as a provocateur. In part one, the auteur episode, Hurlbut Visual CEO Lydia Hurlbut offered this profound insight into Quentin as an auteur. How many times can you really lose your voice because you're you're listening to what everybody's saying and you're morphing and shifting and you're not staying true to the story that you want to tell? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it's a fine line of really having clarity in this is the story that I'm going to tell and yes, your opinion matters, but this is the story that I'm going to tell. And there's a certain fearlessness in that. And the fact that you're going to take a lot of flack um, from a lot of people. Yeah. So I, I respect him as an artist for that. In keeping with Quentin's theme of giving his films chapters, that episode was also broken into chapters. And Lydia's comment was the inspiration for the name of the chapter from whence that lesson came, Fearless in the Face of Flack. In part two of our look at Quentin Tarantino as a provocateur, Lydia is back to start us off with a round of commentary from a series of filmmakers. I feel that Tarantino is provocative. Sure, for Certainly. Sure. Here's Hurlbut Visual CEO again, Lydia Hurlbut. And that's why you have such an intense reaction from people. Because you were provoking them to a point of being disturbed. And then we can all watch the same thing and have incredibly different ways that we interpret it based on our background, based on the way that our lives have unfolded. Mm-hmm. And so I think, it, I would say for Tarantino, it really depends on the person viewing it and their life experience in terms of how they interpret what he, the visuals that he has on the screen in the story. I think Lydia's comment puts the whole conversation into an important perspective every artist must consider. You cannot control how a person will react to your art. Sure, you can infuse elements that you know will elicit a certain response. If you're a horror filmmaker, you can add the proverbial jump scares. If you're a rom-com filmmaker, you know all the story and act beats necessary to make us feel and root for the two lovers to hit it off. But ultimately, the response to your art is still out of your hands, regardless of what you write or what you shoot. And that's the same for all kind of artists. Whether you're on Maplethorpe taking photos of sexually explicit nudes, or if you're NWA singing F the Police, or if you're Quentin Tarantino and using the N-word 113 times in your movie. People's responses to that art will be shaped by circumstances and situations far beyond your control. All you can do is make the art you want to make, put it out into the world, and good or bad, accept the consequences that befall you. After all, isn't that what it means to be an artist? My fellow filmmaker podcaster Alex Ferrari of the Indie Film Hustle podcast put it like this when I interviewed him for the show. The biggest thing about these directors is they have such a clear voice, such a clear perspective on who they are. And that essence of who they are spills onto their art. And that's what a great artist is. 
is someone who's able to express who they are through their art in a very clear way, a very clear, precise way that there is no arguing that a Chris Nolan movie is a Chris Nolan movie. You can see a Chris Nolan movie and see it. Some have it so much more clearly than others, like a Tarantino film. The second someone opens their mouth, you know it's a Tarantino film. Mm -hmm. And there is no other guy writing like Tarantino in this generation or arguably in the next. The Tarantino episodes are two of my favorite from last year. I feel that they not only have great lessons, but really highlight what I feel is the signature style of radio film school as a podcast. There are links to the full Quentin Tarantino episodes in the show notes for this episode. For obvious reasons, the season one finale of the show contained a number of important lessons learned. One of the most notable segues perfectly from the lesson we just talked about from the Quentin episode. Staying true to yourself. Ryan Coral is the owner and the creative director behind the Detroit-based commercial video production company Tell. He's also one of the co-founders of the video business coaching team of Studio Sherpas. Ryan had this profound input to make during the season one finale. You know, I think that's what makes us human. I think being ourselves and we do the biggest disservice to, to the world when, when we can't be ourselves. And the world has taught us that we can't be ourselves, right? That's just the culture that we live in. And it's so sad. Um, but for people, when they can find their voice and, and just be honest, those are the most moving films that we've ever seen or songs that we've ever heard or poems, you know, whatever. Like, that's the stuff that, that moves you. I, th- I think the other stuff is just uh, there's a different purpose for it, whether it's for money or for fame or whatever. But um, that's, that's not the stuff that um, I think creates legacies or, uh, or really matters in the long run. people you have to put yourself out there and when you do it you have to be different i used to film the creative mornings presentations in atlanta georgia and one of the presenters was Dwayne cox the director of innovation for chick-fil-a i actually made the first creative mornings documentary based on that presentation it had b-roll and reenactments i essentially brought Dwayne's powerpoint presentation to life and in that presentation he shared this profound thought the world is starving for different. The world will reward different. And you, you are the creatives. You are the difference makers. You are the antidote to the status quo. Be different. Be determined to leave a mark, a positive mark on this world. I love what my friend Marty Newmeyer had to say about this. He said, be good and be different. But if you can't be both, then just be different. Good will come later. Stay true to yourself, my friends. Don't be afraid of what people might think. Like what I've done with this show, embrace what makes you different. One topic that came up quite a bit last year was this idea of the gap between an artist's taste and his talent. A number of guests on the show referenced the famous video by This American Life host, Ira Glass, in his discussion about the gap. I included a clip from that interview on the season finale where Ira gets into the nitty-gritty of closing that gap and discovering your signature style. Most everybody I know who does interesting creative work, they went through a phase of years 
where they had really good taste, they could tell what they were making wasn't as good as they wanted it to be. They knew it felt short. And the thing I would say to you is everybody goes through that. And for you to go through it, if you're going through it right now, if you're just getting out of that phase, if you're just starting off and you're entering into that phase, you gotta know it's totally normal. And the most important possible thing you could do is do a lot of work, do a huge volume of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week or every month you know you're gonna finish one story. You know what I mean? Whatever it's gonna be, like you create the deadline. It's best if you have somebody who's waiting for work for you, somebody who's expecting it from you, but that you're in a situation where you have to turn out the work because it's only by actually going through a volume of work that you're actually going to ca catch up and close that gap and your the work you're making will be as good as your ambitions. But before you can make a lot of stuff, you actually have to, you know, start. I wasted so many years with that kind of lie of, I will start making my own stuff just as soon as I earn enough money, just as soon as um, I've got enough time. All I need to do is, you know, uh, get a few more gigs and then I'll have the time um, or, the, or the money to do this. That's British filmmaker and Parisian resident Adam Westbrook. Adam creates intricately crafted video essays that have garnered over 1 million views collectively in 8 Vimeo staff picks. He and I were discussing the woes of a freelancer and finding the time to do personal projects. And the lie is, of course, that you know the right amount of time, or, or the right time, or the right amount of money, or the right whatever, whatever, just never arrives. You just have to get on with it and, and do it anyway. Finding your style means making stuff. Lots of stuff. I was recently listening to Creative Lives podcast, Power, Profit, Pursuit, with Tara Gentile. And she had on Kathleen Shannon, co-owner of Braid Creative and co-host of the Being Boss podcast. And when it comes to the issue of finding your voice as an artist, I love what Kathleen had to say. And I've been getting asked a lot lately about how to find your voice and my easiest answer is to use it. You find your voice by using your voice and you just got to muck through it. And it might take years, but try try different voices on for size and try speaking loudly, try speaking quietly, try speaking, try listening. You know, So there are lots of ways to use your voice, but you have to use it to find it. If you followed the show for any significant amount of time last year, then you know about my short film documentary, Little Mixed Sunshine, part of my Mix in America film series about biracial people in America. A project I had started way back in January of 2011 was finally finished just last spring. The first season of Radio Film School led up to the completion of that film, and I documented the process here on the show. You can find all the related episodes on our website in the Shooting Sunshine set menu under Radio Film School. One of the most important lessons I learned, and the lesson that helped me to eventually finish that film already, was one I learned from show regular and good friend J.D. Cochran, a talented filmmaker and writer in his own right. He and his wife, Rulana, have been regular staples and offer not only great input and insight, but some of the most fun that you're going to hear on this show. As a dear friend for over 20 years and one of the groomsmen at my wedding, JD has no problem telling me what I need to hear and pulls no bunches. 
One of the hangups I had in finishing that short film documentary while I was in the final stretch had to do with this particularly complicated shot I really wanted to have in the film. And it was in that discussion regarding that shot where we get our fourth and final important lesson from last year. Get her done. So it's funny, like putting the making of this film on the podcast, I think, has created maybe self-induced barriers that wouldn't have been there otherwise. If I wasn't talking about this film on this podcast and specifically the shot, I probably would have thrown that particular shot out um, or stopped worrying about trying to get it. And I think by talking about all this on the podcast, I've created a sense and I've even mentioned this on the on the podcast where like, you know, if I don't have that shot now, everyone who listens to the podcast is gonna know that I punked out and didn't do it or whatever. Right, right. Um but I think in talking to you I've come to a realization like I'm not making this film for the podcast. Like right. and, and honestly, I don't give a fuck about the shot. I don't I really don't. I don't know. I don't care. I don't I don't right. even know what it is. I don't so I mean and most people aren't. I mean it's not right. like I mean, I know you. I know when you make a podcast, you're putting a lot of yourself out there right, in your right. in your podcast, particularly. I mean, you've talked about stories of your kid. You know, it's, it, it can be personal for you at times, but honestly, just as your friend, we don't know what shot you're. Like I, I've heard you talk about, it, and I still don't really. It's not cataloged in my mind. Like, oh, I need to see this. I need to see. You know, I don't know. I don't care. And it's like you got to get it done. You know, and and for me, if I were in your, I just felt like I was in your shoes. And like, man, I've been there before, like where I've had like, I don't know what I'm going to do for my it, it, it's 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 procrastination in the sense that I don't know what I'm going to do for my my uh, I know what I want to talk about. I know what I want to do for my my um, my term paper, but I just don't I, I need to get this whatever. And it's that one thing that's or, or those several things that allow you to just kick the kick the bucket down the road a little bit more and, and kick the can down the road so that you're not completing the project. Like and like this is the role that like a producer has right like which i don't have you know someone there to kick you in the butt and to just say like you just say just get get the project done and it would be one thing like if this was a discussion of film versus digital like something that had a profound impact on the entire film but in the, right but in this case we're talking about something that is literally a four second shot in an eight minute film right um this obsession i've had to get it and now the self-induced obsession to get it because I've talked about it now on the podcast and I'm worried about people who have listened to the episode feeling like I gave up. As opposed to, like you said, you know, like tell like a really great story regardless of however I portray that. Dude, Noah, I'm telling you, you hit, you hit us with that story and, and make it sing the way you know how to present stories, what I've seen you do on your wedding uh videography when i used to we're not gonna well i mean when you did you did great ones i mean i was blown away by some of the ones you did and i was like you know uh you know i have no i'm not even worried that's not even that wasn't that's not even in my my uh i'm not scared about that i'm not worried about that at all that's you know so it's like just get it done 2016 was indeed quite a year for radio film school And as we enter 2017, it seems fitting that the last lesson I mentioned was related to a project whose making I documented on the show. Because in this year, I'm about to face one of the greatest challenges I've had as a filmmaker, my first feature-length documentary. It's become popular to use the word invisible when we are referring to chronic diseases. Um, Diseases where people are not well, but they look well on the outside. That was a clip from a video vignette for the documentary Invisible Illness. 
It's actually a project being directed by my wife, of all people. I guess technically that makes me the DP and the editor, although I'm a far cry from your traditionally trained DP. Although technically she will be the director, as it's her vision and passion project that started all of this, we will be creative partners. It's a film about the stories of people suffering from illnesses and ailments that don't have any overt manifestations that can be easily seen. People who suffer from things like chronic pain, Lyme disease, PTSD, depression, these are all people who can and often look totally quote-unquote normal on the outside, but inside they're suffering. My wife, Tazra, who suffers from about four different invisible illnesses, wants to tell stories of these people, as well as her own, and provide hope and emotional healing. It's a very, very personal project. And to be quite frank, I'm a little scared about this. No, check that. I'm a lot scared. Not because of the challenges of making my first feature-length film. No, I'm scared about what effect this kind of collaborative project will have on my marriage. You may recall me telling the story of the last time she and I collaborated on a film project. It was from the SOS Atlantis episode of the show way back in September of 2015. It was the infamous Battle of the Drop Shadow. We have a launch detection. We have a Soviet launch detection. Bemuse confirmed a massive attack. That's a clip from 1983's box office hit War Games, starring Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy, and everyone's favorite jerk in the 80s, Dabney Coleman. It was the height of the Reagan era and the Cold War, and in the movie, a temperamental chess program on steroids nearly sends the U.S. government into a global thermonuclear war, all because he wanted to play a game. All right, flush the bombers, get the subs in launch mode. We are at DEFCON 1. DEFCON 1? This sets up a perfect analogy for some serious marital advice I'm about to give. And trust me, as usual, I will make the filmmaking connection. For all you engaged couples out there, listen up closely. There are essentially two types of fights you can get into when you're married or any kind of long-term relationship. There are DEFCON 4 fights and DEFCON 1 fights. Very rarely do you ever have anything in between. As the name suggests, a DEFCON 4 fight is one of those regular, run-of-the-mill disagreements that elevates into maybe a loud voice or a stern look. Nothing too serious. If one of you is woman or man enough, you may be able to kiss, make up, and even make love within an hour or so, or maybe even sometime later that evening. A DEFCON 1 fight, however, is a whole other level of engagement. That's one of those dragged out, neither party wants to back down, toe-to-toe, ready-to-go-to-blows kind of fights. It's the, you're going to be sleeping on the sofa for the foreseeable future kind of fight. It's the, what in the world did I ever see in you kind of fight. They are not fun. As of this recording, I've been married for just over 13 years. And we've had our fair share of DEFCON 4 and 1 arguments. But a few years ago, we had one of the worst DEFCON 1 arguments in the history of our business. I mean, it was bad. And would you believe my beloved and I, the woman to whom I pledged eternal devotion, were escalated to DEFCON 1, wait for it, over a drop shadow. You heard me right. We had one of the worst fights ever over a visual effect for a font. Now, if you're a creative artist and you're married to someone like an accountant or engineer or a gastrologist or something like that, man, you have life easy. Why? Because you're in a situation where neither one of you knows too much about what the other person does. So you respect that fact and you can willingly subordinate your position on the matter to your spouses. Half the things you can fight about are off the table. But if 
both you and your spouse are artists, then my friend, you have just exponentially increased both the probability and the potency of your marital battle engagements. And heaven forbid, if you're both visual artists, and heaven forbid, two times, and God help you if you're a filmmaker and the other is a photographer, which just so happens to have been our situation. See, at the time, my wife was a professional photographer and she did teen portraits, specifically teen girls. And we did this fantasy-themed photo shoot, you know, like Amazonian women warriors and the like. Our studio was about empowering teen girls, and so that was the genesis for this particular theme. And I had uh, written, shot, and produced a short video to go along with the photo shoot theme. Now, since I'm the video guy in the family, I just assumed that I will get final say on the look and feel of the video. Uh, that was my first mistake. I'm also the sci-fi and fantasy geek in the house, so it stands to reason that I would have final say on all the fantasy elements. You guessed it, mistake number two. So I was making this title sequence for the video where I had this low angle, slow motion shot through the trees as sunbeams pierced through the trees like golden rapiers and sun flares frolicked through the borders of my lens like angels of light. It was beautiful. Yes, I know it's cliche, but trust me, it was very cool. I had the drop shadow on the titles kind of track along with the sun. See what I'm saying? Can you picture it? It was tracking along with the sun. And let me just say, it took a freaking long time to get that effect to work the way I wanted it to work. And I'm mad enough, amateur enough to admit that that just might have contributed to my stubbornness and steadfastness during the aforementioned DEFCON 1 argument. But I was going for like a real Lord of the Rings look, you know? You know what I mean? Like, if it's good enough for Peter Jackson, it's good enough for me. Well, I should specify, if it's good enough for Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson is good enough for me. I'm not too sure I'd be too keen on Hobbit Peter Jackson's take on anything. Anyway, my wife just wasn't feeling it. Drop shadows are tacky. Because if you look at design that people created in the 80s or the 90s, they used drop shadows because there weren't as many options for fonts and there weren't as many options for what you could do with design. There wasn't hand lettering that was happening. And so... That's what a drop shadow was to give it an extra design feel. But we're talking about 2012, 2011 when this happened, and drop shadows were had gone the way of Comic Sans font and hey, that's didn't a low blow. Comic didn't <laughs> didn't have any place in any of the work that I was doing. I loved the video you created and the. The way that the movie itself came out so I guess advice that I would give for any couples or creatives who are working together is to clarify your roles and ownership of the project of course I still loved you didn't mean I liked you during the times that we were having the discussion So that whole brouhaha was over a short and fun film starring a bunch of teen girls. This, this is a whole nother beast. Now, to our credit, we've learned from that past lesson and have designated upfront who's responsible for what. But I still get nervous and anxious thinking about those long editing nights and potential fights over color grading, design aesthetics, and direction. I mean, how do I balance my role as a loving husband? with that of a DP and editor working with who I know to be a very picky, hyper-detail-oriented, INFJ, introverted client that is my beloved wife? How do you run a successful crowdfunding campaign? How will we distribute it? 
And will we be able to finish this film before July when we become global nomads? Oh, did I forget to mention that? Yeah. In July, we're getting rid of everything we own to travel the world and make art. So, yeah, there's that. You, my friends, are invited along for what will be a wild and wacky ride as I embark upon this daring adventure. If you're interested in following along the making of a feature documentary, learning about crowdfunding, and hearing what will surely be funny, if not painful, stories about working with one's spouse, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss one juicy episode. Remember, stay tuned after the credits to hear the full trailer for our first feature-length documentary, Invisible Illness. Radio Film School is a production of Daydreamer FM. This episode was written and produced by Moi. Radio Film School is also a proud member of the Podcastica Network, a small collection of pop culture podcasts that cover topics from your favorite television shows to meditation and health to podcast production. This and other great shows can be found at podcastica.com. Music for this episode was curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to tracks are in the show notes. If you like what we're doing on the show, please subscribe on iTunes. Your subscription helps the show get found. And while you're there, leave us a rating and review. Another great way you can support the show is by becoming a Daredreamer FM Premium Member. Premium membership helps keep the show going and putting out great weekly content. For a monthly price about the same as a small popcorn at your local cinema, you not only support the show, but you get access to ebooks, templates, bonus episodes, discounts, and other products and services, and other resources to help you grow in your craft and career. Go to daredreamer.fm slash join to learn more. Be sure to follow me on the tweets. I have a new Twitter handle, daredreamerron. If you were already following me before, you don't need to do anything. You still are. I just changed my handle. If you just want to stay notified with what's up on the show, you can follow us at Radio Film School. If you like this episode, share it on Twitter or email it to a friend that you know needs to hear this message. That's it for this week. Remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. Welcome to 2017, people. Make it your best year ever. And that was so cliche. I always have a low level of pain. It's manageable. I go about my day. Like, I don't even think about it much because there's not much point in, like, spending energy on the thought that, you know, again, today, you know, 3,000 days later, my back still hurts. (laughs) For me, an invisible illness is anything that you couldn't keep hidden if you wanted to. When you see somebody walking or running, or there's really no way for us to know. And so a lot of people are suffering in silence. Being a burden is actually one of my greatest fears. I had this fear inside of me that at some point, the amount of burden that I was causing, it was finally gonna get to the snapping point and they were just gonna be done with me. I didn't wanna be a burden and I still don't. Man, when you 
when you're thrown to the fire of you could lose your spouse of you know 10 years and best friend I think that there's a lot of people out there who go through this kind of thing so alone and afraid to talk about it if we start to investigate how our body functions and who we are and what are the things that drive us further away from balance and we start to minimize those um, and what are the things that draw us closer to balance and we start to maximize those then we're healers right we're healing ourselves i think that if i could offer up any kind of advice to somebody else who's in their own challenging invisible illness know that whatever you are doing at any given moment is actually what's right for you i have never known someone so full of life when faced with death. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. Hmm? Ah! Oh. Oh.